Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Josh, and uh, you're welcome for the donuts. I didn't know I was going to bring donuts for everyone by my being here. Uh, I'm really excited to be here this morning with you, and, and as I begin, I just want to say uh, how much I love and appreciate the staff here at uh, Orange Crest Community Church. I've had the privilege over the years to actually go on some trips with almost all of the pastors, and uh, many of us have actually been out of the country together. So Pastor Josh and I, uh, we've been to Guatemala, we've been to Germany, and uh, we even uh, were together in Florida for a hurricane a few years ago, Hurricane Matthew, of all hurricanes, right? And uh, I've got a picture here. This is uh, Josh and I at the Wartburg in uh, Germany. This is the room where Martin Luther translated the New Testament. So uh, we were there with a team, and then we got to see a few sites as we visited some other folks, and it was really great, fun privilege to go and get to experience that together. Uh, Cody was on the same trip to Germany uh, that we, where we had a larger team, and here's Cody and I outside the Haribo, I think, world headquarters or something, if you know Haribo, they're the, the gummy bears and all things gummy. So that was, uh, we, we were seatmates on the 10-ish hour flight between uh, Dallas and Frankfurt. And we got to talk about just about everything there is, I think, two or three times uh, on that flight over together. And then John was on the trip to Guatemala with Josh and I. And here's a picture of the larger team. There was another guy uh, named Jeremy with the, with the tan hat on from my church. And on that trip, John and I and the rest of the team, I think we ate a lifetime's worth of corn tortillas while we were trekking through the jungle. And most recently, Bruce and I got to join Randy Lanthrop uh, as he was speaking at a student retreat in Colorado. He invited Bruce and Thad and I to come along and do a, a workshop during some of the breakout sessions. So Bruce and I got to be roommates during that time together. And and I didn't have a picture with Scott until this morning. So uh, we, we just went right out there. You probably recognize the wall. Took a picture. Now, Scott and I have not yet been on a trip together, but we did have a long, meaningful conversation at the beach around a bonfire last summer. And I really enjoyed that. So, Scott, I don't know if you're in here or not, but when and where are we going to go on our trip? So, all right. Well, I, I, you may be new this morning to OCC, or maybe you've been apart for a long time, but I just want to say how much that uh, this community and the staff, they they are here, they really love Jesus, they really want to make him known uh, to Riverside as well as uh, to the ends of the earth. So uh, it's it's really a joy to be here with you this morning. What I want to do this morning is share some of my own journey with you. Some of the key things that God has taught me along the way as I really sought to walk with him. And this month in February, which we're almost to the end of February, I celebrated my 12th year in ministry. And, and I, I know that because one of my staff members told me this, this last week, he said, hey, happy anniversary. I saw it come up on LinkedIn. And I said, oh, well, thank you for that. But as I've been in, tw- in ministry now for 12 years, what, what I've noticed is the lessons that I want to share with you, they're not so much unique lessons to me, but they're actually some patterns and ways that God works just in our lives to train us and to grow us. So that's what I want to share with you today. And our lives really are a journey. You, know, you think about the journey begins the moment we're born into this planet here. 
And uh, our, our journey along the way will have maybe a lot of different stops. In fact, all of us today, we're all on our own journeys, and we've all intersected right here, right now, in this community center for the next few minutes. And then we'll go our own ways, and I'll uh, head to uh, spend some time with my family tonight. I'm going to go to San Diego tomorrow, and then I'm going to fly back to Texas on Tuesday. But we have this moment where our journeys are intersecting. So I want to ask you to do something this morning. You guys maybe have it a little easier than the first service because it's a little bit later. Perhaps you've had more coffee than uh, the other group. But I want you to think about something for just a moment. And it's kind of a deep something, okay? This is what I want you to think about. What do you want your life to be all about? What do you want your life to be all about? When you are no longer walking the face of this planet, what kinds of things do you want people to say about you, to remember about you? What kind of an impact do you want to have made in this world in the time that you've had? So I don't know if you've ever thought about that question, but I'm going to give you 10 seconds right now to think about what do you want your life to be all about. Go ahead and close your eyes if it's helpful, but just think, what do you want your life to be all about? All right, time's up. You got it all figured out? All right. Uh, This is actually something that I've spent quite a bit of time thinking about. Thinking about what is it that I want my life to be about. And as I've thought about it and as I've read the scripture, there's one verse that is sort of the, the summary that I think says it really well. And that's Acts 13, 36. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was laid with his fathers. Isn't that a great way to be remembered? is that after he served God's purpose in his generation, then he fell asleep, which is a poetic way of saying he was dead. He was gone. He was no longer living and walking on this planet. You could say when you look at the life of David, you could say that David was all in. He was not a perfect man by any means. And God is not looking for perfection because there's only one perfect man, and that's Jesus. The rest of us, perfection is not even an option, even though we may try very hard. So, but David could be said that he was all in. And when I think about my life, when I think about when I'm gone off this planet and people are talking about me and, and what my life was about, I would like it to be said that Matt was all in. Not that Matt was perfect, not that he tried to be perfect, but Matt was all in. I think that would just be an amazing thing to have said. Now, this wasn't the picture that I had for my life uh, for all of it. Um, in fact, I'm, uh, I'm sort of in a reflective period. I'm going to have turned 40 later this year. So those of you that have passed that marker in the past, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're approaching that time right now, and, uh, and you're also in a period of reflection. But I didn't think this way my whole life. This is something that the more that I've walked with Jesus, the more that I've gotten to know him, the more that I've allowed him to, to realign my thoughts and my actions and my feelings and my perspectives and the way that I view this this, this life that I have. So I, I want to share with you some of these, these key uh, lessons that I have learned. So I, I grew up here in, uh, I grew up in Southern California, not too far from here, about 35 miles. Grew up, I was born in Fullerton. Uh, we lived in a house till I was eight in Anaheim. And uh, then we, when I was eight, we made the long trek up the hill to Yorba Linda. So my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. Anybody here from the YL? All right, anybody from Esperanza High School? That's all right. So uh, that's, that was where I grew up. In fact, my parents, they live in the house 
I'm going to go spend the night with them tonight and, and hang out in the house that I grew up in. And I grew up in a Christian family. My parents, we talked about Jesus from as early as I can remember. And we went to church. Here's a picture uh, for you of my family. I'm the oldest of three kids. I've got a younger brother and I've got a younger sister. And this is actually a, a picture of us standing out in front of the church that we attended uh, as I was growing up as a child. Between ages 8 and 14, I was not able to run, jump, or kick because of a hip condition that I had and some procedures that needed to happen in order to correct that condition. When I was 14 years old, I was run over by a drunk driver while I was intertubing on a lake. At 19, I met and then several months later started dating the woman I would later marry. I was also introduced to a man who would become my pastor and uh, play a very significant role in me really understanding what it means to follow Jesus. As I move into my 20s, at 23, I graduated from college with a business degree. There's uh, my wife and I now. We weren't yet married, but we graduated together. Uh, then we got married uh, shortly after we graduated. That was uh, back in 2002 we got married. So we're uh, excited to have spent uh, many, many of our growing up years together. After, shortly after we got married, we went on our honeymoon, we packed up our stuff, we moved to Fort Worth, Texas to be a part of Hope Church, which is the, the church that I am uh, the executive pastor at now, but we moved there uh, just to be a part of the church. And I was working in business at the time, and uh, we just wanted to get more training for life and, 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 and be involved in ministry and learn all we could as we were uh, starting this life together. And I started my business career there in town. Uh, at 27, God called me from my business career into vocational ministry and provided an opportunity for me to come on staff at Hope Church. And I, I've done a number of things along the way. And in 2010 is when I became the executive pastor. I've been doing that now since that time. Now, over the next 10 years after God called me into ministry, I uh, spent my 30s really having some amazing experiences, getting to meet some awesome people, have some great relationships, but then also walking through some extremely difficult things. But probably the greatest adventure for me and for my life is, is it towards my later 30s was that of becoming a dad. My wife and I were so incredibly grateful that the Lord had answered our prayers of a number of years and blessed us with a daughter, Kenzie Joel. Uh, and uh, here's a picture. She was probably four or five months old at the time. And then just this past August, uh, he blessed us with a son, uh, Malachi Harold. We call him Kai. So that was a, we did a family photo swap with my brother-in-law in the park trying to, you know, you, you know when you want to get those family pictures that you put on the cards that you send out around Christmas time? Yeah, it's a little more difficult than it, uh, than it looks. But that was, we got the one money shot that we needed to use for the card where uh, surprisingly everybody was looking at the camera. That's also difficult to do with children. But uh, today what I want to do is I want to share some lessons with you that I've learned. Perhaps you can identify with some of the, the pieces of my story that I just very quickly glossed over. Some of the things that I, that I said, I saw some of your faces. Like, did he just really say that? Yes, I did. We're going to talk a little more about it in just a moment. But I've had lots of opportunities. I've had lots of challenges to grow. And, 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 and this is what's woven into my life story. And what I've found is, is that there's, if I think about all the lessons that I've learned over the, these, these last number of years, almost 40 years of living and over 34 years of being a follower of Christ, I can come up with five key lessons, so that's what I want to share with you. And, 
And many of these lessons, I could actually show you the physical scars that uh, are associated with that lesson. But the first lesson is this, is that God loves me so much more than I can actually understand. He loves me so much more than I can actually understand. And I'm using personal language because these are my lessons. That's why I'm saying he loves me more than I can understand. But I also want to say he loves you more than you can understand. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've never heard that God loves you. I want you to know right now that God loves you so much more than you can understand. You see, God created us in his image for a relationship with him. And and when he created, everything was perfect. This world and everything in it was perfect. When he made man and woman, he said, it's very good. And then we came along and we did what he said not to do. We rebelled against him. That's the time when sin entered this world. And from that moment on to the day we are right now, we live in a broken world. This world's no longer perfect. We are not perfect. And we, we live in a world where we are separated from God because of our sins. There's nothing we could do, nothing we could say, nothing that we could do on our own that would reunite us with God. So God took it upon himself. He came in to this planet, into time and space. Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life and to do for us what we couldn't do on our own. And he died on the cross. He paid the price, the price that every single one of us should pay. But he paid the price on our behalf so that we could have a right relationship with God. That's how much God loves you. And the, the very first verse that I think I ever remember memorizing and learning was John 3.16. And, and, I, and I've, I've learned it and read it in so many different, different versions over the years, so I'm actually going to read it right here so I actually read the whole thing in its entirety correctly instead of that mixed mash version. So here is in the, uh, in the ESV. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I can't imagine giving my son for anyone. But that's what God did for us. In fact, the other John 3.16, John, 1 John 3.16, says that we know what love is because Jesus Christ died for us. So I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up understanding this. And then I had some experiences along the way that took things to the HNL for me. You guys know HNL? The whole nother level, right? So... Some of the experiences took my understanding of God's love to the whole nother level. So when I was eight years old, I was diagnosed with this hip condition. I had, I had developed a, kind of a, just a sudden limp, and it was very painful. I needed to have a series of procedures to correct it. Started out, uh, they, they put me in double leg cast. I've got a picture for you here. This is our backyard. And uh, I, I had the, both legs in a cast with a bar in between. I actually walked around, you know, just moving my, my legs like this. Uh, the, the first approach, it, it didn't correct the problem. So then I needed to have a couple of surgeries. And when I had the surgeries, I was actually confined, confined to a wheelchair in the same cast configuration for about three to five months at a time. So I spent from age eight to 14 not being able to run, jump, or kick as a result of the surgeries and then the time period of, of um, the healing uh, after that. So through this experience, though, through the, through the surgeries and having the cast on, I really began to learn and understand the power of prayer and the power of, uh, uh, and, and relying on God in difficult circumstances. Uh, in fact, it, I, I will never forget when I was uh, in, the, in the spring of my eighth grade year, uh, when, I, when I was in junior high, we had to, you know, every Friday or something, run the fields, you know, it was part of like the, 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 the fitness 
thing that we had to do at the time, and I was always just either sitting out or walking because I couldn't run, jump, or kick because I had this doctor's note. doctor released me, gave me a clean, full bill of health. The very next Friday that we had, like, I was pumped. I was excited. We, I took off running. I was up at the front of the pack with the cross-country types, and my PE teacher yells out, Sturvin, slow down or you're going to kill yourself. I gave it everything I had for that first lap, and then after that I had to sit down, and he was right. But I was so excited to be able to run, jump, and kick again. And then, just a little bit after that, a few months later, in the, in the summer between 8th grade and ninth grade, my family and I took a weekend trip to Lake Havasu in Arizona about 6 p.m. on Saturday evening. Uh, I was out intertubing. And if anybody's been intertubing, you're not having fun if you're not falling off the tube. That's a normal thing that happens while you intertube. Well, what's not normal is for a drunk driver to not be paying attention and run you over. I was run over uh, there on the lake. They rushed me to the emergency room there in Lake Havasu City, and they said, there's nothing we can do for you here. Put me on a plane, flew me to a trauma center in Phoenix. And uh, there in Phoenix, they were able to assess me and my injuries... I had a collapsed lung, I had a severed liver, I had lacerations on my torso and my hand and my bicep, and by the time they took me in for surgery, I had lost nearly all the blood in my body. I spent uh, 10 days in the intensive care unit and about three weeks in the hospital in, in all. Here's a picture of me uh, there in the, in the intensive care unit. It looked like they're trying to like launch a space shuttle with all the tubes and everything sticking out of me. But, uh, so I spent about three weeks total in the hospital. And then when I was leaving the hospital, I've got a picture of me getting in the car here to leave the hospital three weeks after I entered. We asked the doctors, we said, we, we know it was bad when, when he came into the hospital. How bad was it? And they said, well, we gave him about a 30% chance to make it when he came in on that Saturday night. And we've never seen anyone come in as bad as he was and actually leave the hospital. So I know that God did something significant. I believe God did a miracle in, in, in healing me and protecting me during that time. So everything that I had learned about prayer and relying on God in difficult circumstances was put to the test, was taken to the HNL through this experience. And what I learned through this experience as, as, a, as a young man getting ready to enter into high school was that God was not only true. The God that I was reading about in the Bible was not only true, but he was real. I had real experience with God, and I entered into high school with no question in my mind if there was a God, if he was real, or if he loved me. So, most recently, though, in the last two years, I gained even a new perspective on God's love for me, God's love for us. And I have a new appreciation and a new perspective for 1 John 3.1. 1 John 3.1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. So when we become a follower of Christ, we accept Christ, we are forgiven. God totally forgives us of our sins and we're made right with Him. But we also are brought into a new family. We become children of God. And I remember uh, when my daughter was born, the very first night that she was born, uh, she was born about 7 p.m. And by the time we got to the room after all that, it's late. My wife's exhausted. And I spent my first night, my well, sleepless nights, as a brand new father. Here's a picture of me holding her just shortly after she was born. And my wife's exhausted asleep, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the rocking chair holding my daughter, looking at her. And I just, I've just got this totally new perspective of God's love for us as his children. And, and I think this is, you know, God's probably intentionally provided such that children don't talk when they're born. Because I think as I looked at her, and I, and I loved her so much, 
I would have done anything she asked me at that moment. <laughs> you want a pony? Sure, let's go find a pony, right? But, but I just, I gained this, this totally new concept and this new appreciation for God's love for us. As God is our Father and He loves us like children. So God loves us so much more than we can actually understand. The second point, or the second key lesson that I learned is God is absolutely 100% in control. He's absolutely 100% in control, even if it feels like our lives are out of control. If it feels like everything around us is spinning out of control, or we're not getting what we want, or we're not getting what we deserve, He's still in control. He is 100% in control. Now, uh, one of the major difficulties, I mentioned it very passing uh, in passing as I began, but I spent my 30s really wanting to start a family. My wife and I, we really wanted to have children. And our, our plan, so much as you can have a plan, uh, was since we got married young, right out of college, we were 22 and 23, let's wait about five years, let's get established and get some things figured out and then start our family. So five years came and went and we were ready to start a family. And then 10 years came and went, and there was no family yet. And then uh, in 2013, after over 10 years, uh, we, we finally decided, well, maybe we need to just investigate if there's, if there's any problems. So we began this journey of, of working with a fertility doctor and doing some, some testing and investigating. And after several months of that, the doctor comes to us and he says, I got good news and bad news. It's always, you know, you're like wondering, what's the doctor going to say when he gives you that as the... As the preface, he says, the good news is there's nothing medically wrong with you. Okay, great. The bad news is you fall into this very small percentage of unexplained infertility. Well, what God used that that visit with the doctor and that word from the doctor was God very clearly told my wife and I, he said, the only reason you don't have children is because I have not said that it's time to have children. He did not guarantee us and say that he was going to give us children, but he told us with certainty that the reason you don't, it's not you, but it's me, God, saying it is not time yet for you to have children. So what we decided to do at the time was she was working on church staff as well. We were both in ministry and we just said, okay, God, we don't know if you're ever going to give us children, but we're going to use the time that we've been given now and we're going to aggressively commit to go all in. And I was reminded of my, my original call into the ministry. Part of it was God said, you know, Matt, you want to have the greatest impact. So I wanted to have the greatest impact for the kingdom that I could. And I now had an opportunity to just aggressively go all in. That's what we did. After making that commitment, God opened up so many opportunities and doors to do training, to do uh, developing, to work on things locally, nationally, internationally. We got to travel together. God just... He, he opened up so many doors and opportunities for us. And then when we least expected it, in the, mo- in the very busy season, this was late in May of 2015, we found out we were pregnant. And um, then uh, we, uh, our daughter was due in January of 2016. So Kenzie was born January. And uh, that was over two years ago now. And here's a picture. We just recently had a daddy-daughter dance. Uh, at my church a couple of Saturdays ago, and she's just such a, an amazing joy and a delight to have as a daughter. And, and uh, I, I now understand I have a much greater appreciation for being a, a father than I think I probably would have if things had have, had have happened easier and, and sooner. So some of the verses that have been really important to me, I just want to share a couple of them with you. The first one is Psalm 103:19. It said, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, 
and his kingdom rules over all. So what, what this, this encourages me with the fact that regardless of my circumstances, God is on the throne in heaven. He's ruling all. He didn't just somehow decide to go on a break and leave the throne and then all of a sudden this chaos and all the things are happening. God is on the throne in control. And then the next verse that I have listed there is Genesis 45, 5-9. This is the passage towards the end of uh, Joseph's journey when he is, he's talking with his brothers. Three times in this passage he says, it wasn't you, but it was God that sent me. It wasn't you, it was God that was sent me. God was the one that sent me to preserve life. So, you know, you know the, if you know the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And uh, he ended up in an Egyptian prison, and then God raised him up to be the second in command in all of Egypt. And God used him to store up supplies for this famine that was coming. So here, years later, his brothers are now getting food from him, and they don't know that it's their brother that they sold into slavery. And then when they find out that this is our brother, it's, oh no, he's like the most powerful guy ever. What's he going to do to us? And he's telling them, you don't understand. God was in control. God used this to bring me here so that I could preserve life. This was all part of what God was doing. So for us, we live in a sinful, broken world with problems. And and God can even use the mistakes that we make or the mistakes that other people make that that affect us, that seem like like it's just totally out of control and I don't know how any good could ever come of this. God can use even that. And I don't wish this experience that I had on anybody, but guys, I could tell you that on this side of it, I'm, I'm not the same person that I was after having uh, been run over by a boat and having to wait as long as I have as a ch- for children. God used that to grow me and develop me. So God had us wait. This is an exciting uh, part of the story. He had us wait about 14 years for the first child, for our daughter, but then he had us only wait about 18 months for the next one. So we now have about a seven-month-old and a little more than a two-year-old. So here's a picture of Kai, our son, and he's uh, just got this great smile and, and some dimples, and uh, it's just, he's just got this, this is his personality. He's tooling around on his, he can't walk yet, but when he gets in that walker, I mean, he can navigate through the whole house and just has a, has a great, great time. So God is 100% in control regardless of what we think or feel. Third thing I want to share with you is that life is God's training program for me. And, and this is a required course. It's not an elective. We don't get to say, I, I, I want to opt out of that one. I'm not going to take it. No, this is in the require, required curriculum. And we, we may have had some different experiences, but for all of us, God is using our experiences to train us. When we face challenges, those challenges are actually opportunities. They're opportunities to learn. They're opportunities to grow. And, and if you're here today and you're exploring what it means to be a follower of Christ, you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to be uh, completely honest with you that the Christian life is not the problem-free life. We don't somehow magically get coated with Teflon when we decide to follow Jesus and all the problems bounce off and never stick. That's not what the Christian life is. But what the Christian life is, it's not the absence of the problems, but it's the presence of the resources to adequately deal with the problems that we're going to face anyway as we live in life. So, by God's grace, I have grown, and I'm not the, the, I'm not the person that I was because of the training program, the curriculum that I've had in my life. Two verses that were really important to me. first one is James uh, 1, 2 through 4. And this is both encouraging and discouraging. It says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? 
I'm, I'm tempted to rewrite that as, dear brothers, since your life is full of difficulties and temptations, because we're all going to deal with them. It says, then be happy. Be happy for the difficulties and the temptations. For when the way is rough, patience has grown, has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Guys, the only way to grow in patience is to have to be patient, right? The only way to grow in endurance is to have to endure. And this is part of the process that God uses to grow us and develop us. So James says, when it's hard, be happy. And then Paul takes it to the HNL and he says, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Woohoo! I'm suffering right now. Why? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that the suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We live in a world around us that is totally hopeless. We have hope because we know Christ, those of us who know know Christ. But more than that, we know that, that, that there's purpose behind the pain. God is using the experiences that we go through to grow us and to change us. In fact, one of the things, I think it's almost comical now, as I work with people, I, I coach a lot of guys in, in training programs that we have in our, uh, in our church, and as I'm sitting down having breakfast or coffee with a guy and we're talking, and I have what I now phrase as that's why moments. Where it's like, I, go, I went through something, I'm like, where did this come from? Why am I going through this? I'll be in a meeting with somebody and they'll be like, that's why. I now have a connection. I have a way to encourage someone. So there's purpose behind the pain that we're experiencing in our lives. See, and not only are we in a training program, but we're also not meant to do life on our own. God created us for relationships, a relationship with him, a relationship with others. He created us to be in a community together like you have here at Orange Crest Community Church. In fact, life is a team sport, not solitaire. You don't just sit there and and play on our own. But we want to be together with a team. So with that, the fourth lesson is that as I pick my friends, I pick my future. As I'm picking my friends, I'm picking my future. And the thing that I have come to realize in my own life and in the lives of other people, uh, as I've worked with them over the years, is that unless you intentionally pick friends that build you up, that call you to the things of God, that call you and encourage you, our friends are eventually going to drag us down. Anybody experienced, you know, you, why did you get in trouble in high school? It wasn't ever you. It was always that friend you were hanging around with, right? So our friends are so important. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, whenever you see don't be deceived, you want to pay attention because usually what's about to be said after that is something that we are easily deceived by. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And then Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffer harm. You want to become wise, or do you want to suffer harm? I'd rather become wise than suffer harm. And then uh, I want to share a quote with you from a book. This topic of friendship is something that's particularly uh, important to me because I've found that when, when we're in school or in high school or in college, you, know, you just sort of have ready-made friends around you, but it's difficult when you making friends post-college, making adult friends. Because you're in college, it's 1 a.m., and you're like, so I step out of your dorm room, you're like, who wants to go to Taco Bell? And all of a sudden, you fill you know, 18 cars worth of people to go to Taco Bell at 1 in the morning. 
Well, now, if I opened up that, my door to my house and says, who wants to go to Taco Bell? You know, nobody would hear me. They'd all be asleep at 1 a.m. So how do we develop friendships post-college? And what's the impact of friends that they have on us? They're still, as we pick our friends, we're picking our future. But they, Mary and Jerry uh, White, they wrote this book. And uh, they ba- they're, they're believers. And they, they basically said the same thing that the two verses we looked at. But it says it's slightly different. They put it this way. It says, Each of our friends has contributed to the person we've become. Our friend marks us in a profound ways. They alter our thinking, our actions, our desires, and our ambitions for the good or for the bad. Same thing the Bible tells us. It's just said slightly different. And then uh, some of you may, may be familiar with Jim Rohn. He's a motivational speaker and author. And he has this quote that says, You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So who are you the average of? Who do you want to be the average of? And is the answer the same? So I'm so grateful that when I was in college, that first semester, I met a girl named Jessica. And then uh, we started dating. And then the next year, she invited me to go check out this small church plant in Huntington Beach. And it was, it, they were meeting in a senior center. And I was like, can a church meet in another place than a church building? You know, I, that was a foreign concept to me at the time. What my paradigm of church was. And I met the pastor... Thad King. Thad later became my mentor and he discipled me and he taught me so much about what does it really mean to walk with Jesus and to grow. And as a result of that relationship and over time and choices that I've made, I met guys like Randy Lanthrop and Bevan Unruh and Gary Hamilton and Josh De La Rosa. And, and today, which I find this is just like only a God thing that like is mind blowing to me. I'm standing here about 35 miles from the house that I grew up in. And, and at that time, when I started college and I, and I met Jessica and I was beginning on this path, I had no idea that any of you existed, even though we had somebody from your Belinda that maybe we could have run into each other. But, you know, I didn't know any of you existed here. And there's a church that didn't yet exist, but, but a church that, that was started 10 years ago. That I, and I met the pastor through the relationships that I have, and here I am today sharing my story. Once again, our journeys are intersecting today, right now, in this moment, the, the journey that we're on. So if you want to know where you're going, look around. Look around at the people. Where are they heading? That's going to tell you where you're going. Now, this is true on an individual basis, but it's also true on an organizational basis, on a, on a church basis even. So we all are together. We're part of the same network, the 176 network, Hope Church. Orange Crest Community Church and other churches, we're all a part of the 17.6 network together. And, and the vision of the network and that the pastors is to see life-changing churches multiply throughout the world. Life-changing churches basically simply just help uh, build biblical perspectives and kingdom values in the lives of people through the activities uh, and the events and the things that we do. That's what we're trying to do together. And we collaborate primarily uh, through training and through missions opportunities. So I know you don't necessarily normally raise your hand in church, but I want to ask you if you are in or have been in the Antioch Project, North Star, North Star or Horizon, just raise your hand real quick. Okay, we're all part of the same training collectively in our, in our network of churches. In fact, I got a picture here. Uh, this, this last fall, those in North Star had a number of mission trips that collaborated together, and there were folks from multiple churches going on these mission experiences. Next slide are some Antioch uh, trips that we've done. There you can see we're in Germany, we're in Spain, we're in Guatemala. We're, we're, we're collaborating together for missions efforts. 
And when I think about the collaboration that can happen on an individual and on a church basis is we can have a much greater impact when we work together than we can have on our own. And the way I think about it is like my finger, okay? If I got in a fight, I could poke somebody, right? My finger by itself is not going to have much impact. No, I know some people are trained, uh, trained in martial arts, and you know the exact place to push, and the person's going to fall down and be knocked out. I'm not one of those guys. So for me, I'm not going to have much impact with my finger. But you take my fist, and you can almost punch through a wall with a fist, right? Depending on how strong you are or how weak the wall is. We have a much greater impact when we work together. And that's the same thing for us as, as a network of churches, the impact that we can have. So as I pick my friends, I'm picking my future, but I'm also picking the potential impact that I can have in this world for the kingdom. The last big lesson that I learned is walking with Jesus on this side of eternity is done one step at a time. Just one step at a time. You've got to take the next step. And I learned something about next steps on that trip to Guatemala. The average person can take about 2,000 steps equals a mile. You know, any, anybody here with Fitbits, you know, you track your steps and uh, you have a goal you want, to try to, you want to try to hit. Well, when we went to Guatemala in July of 2015, we've got a picture of the team here. We did 20 miles in two days, trekking through the jungle. And uh, I'm going to show you what the road looked like. So this first picture, sometimes the road's easy. We're going downhill on what's actually, it's paved, and you could drive a truck on that part of the trail pretty easy if you wanted to. So I'm thinking, man, this is easy. Well, the next morning I found out we had to walk back up that, and it was a lot harder than going downhill. But then parts of our journey looked like this. So we're in the jungle, and we're, we're going, I'm, I'm, I've got the camera, I'm holding it up behind looking behind me, so you can see going downhill. Now, the next picture is going uphill. There's places where we're climbing like this, uphill and downhill. And, and there were some really, really, really hard steps. In fact, have you, have you heard you know, about pray without ceasing? Well, I learned that on this trip. And my prayer went like this. God, please help me to pick up my right foot and take a step. And he did. And then once I took that step, God, please help me to pick up my left foot and take a step. He did and I did. And that went on like that for miles and miles and miles. And I learned about praying without ceasing. But, but each step, it was just the next step. I wasn't trying to get three miles from here. I was just trying to take the next step. So we take physical next steps, but we also have spiritual next steps. And one of the things when you think about spiritual next steps is, is that John fourteen twenty one says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So how do we know we love Jesus? We obey him. It's really easy just to say, I love Jesus, and do nothing. But you're not really showing that you love him because you may not, you're not obeying him. You're not doing anything. You're just saying it. It's actually, it's, it's so easy to love him in words, but we demonstrate it by doing. And we, we do the things that he says to do. We don't do the things that he says not to do. And if you don't know what he says or you don't know what to do, guys, that's why we have this. God gave us a manual in his word on, on how to live life, how to obey him. And it, it doesn't, it, the Bible doesn't address every instant in our, our current modern technology. So it doesn't tell you, you know, like, what should you do with, with, your, twit, with your tweets, right? It tells you how you should think about words, though. And the words that you, it, it, that you tweet, the Bible has something to say about that. So he's given us so much. Or you can ask people, hey, help me understand how... To follow God. So when you read through the Bible, you see all kinds of men and women who took steps. Some of those steps were easy. 
some of those steps were hard. And, and they, but they were taken one step at a time. So these are just five really big lessons that I have learned over the years of walking with Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to invite you to take your next step towards being all in. We've all got a different next step. I've got a next step that I need to take with Jesus. Josh has a next step that he needs to take with Jesus. And you all have a next step that you can take with Jesus as well. So we're all in different places. But a next step is just simply where I'm at right now. In this moment where I am, being real with where I am, what's the next step? towards walking closer with God? What's the next step of obedience that I need to take? So I want to invite you to take a next step towards being all in. And I realize we've got a diverse audience here. Again, so we've got many different next steps. If you're here this morning for the very first time, a great next step is just come back next week. You got me this week, and you had donuts too, but next week you'll actually get to hear from Pastor Josh. So just come back again next week and hear from Pastor Josh. Or maybe you've been coming around for a little while and your next step is to connect. Find a way to make a connection here with OCC. Get connected with the people. Or maybe you're connected to some and your next step is to make a commitment. There's all kinds of commitments that we can make, but actually make a commitment. The first and most important commitment is a commitment to Christ. To actually yield your life to Jesus Christ to say, yes, I want to be his follower. I want to walk in obedience with him. I want to have a right relationship with God. That's the first step, to commit to Christ. The next step, John talked about uh, 101 coming up, is to commit to uh, OCC. Maybe you've just been kind of hanging around, and, and your next step is to actually commit. I want to be a part of this church. I want to help make this church go. At the risk of being Captain Obvious, you guys are in a, a building that you don't own, right? So all this stuff has to be brought in. And then it has to be moved out and go somewhere. There's all kinds of ways to help out and to help make things go. And then you can commit to contribute. Contribute in some way, whether it's with your time, whether it's financially or whatever that contribution is. But make a commitment to, to take a step towards being all in. You see, what I've found is we don't grow when we're in the comfort zone. There's a, there's a beach in Kauai that I, that I love to visit. I've been able to go there a couple of times. I can picture it right now in my mind. When I'm sitting there, I'm not growing. I'm not being stretched. I'm in my comfort zone. But real growth happens as we take a next step with Jesus. Real growth happens as we get out of our comfort zone and we take those next steps. So I want to invite you to take the next step to be all in, whatever that means for you, for where you're at right now at this moment on your journey. I want to pray for us. John's going to come back up and uh, wrap us up after I pray. But would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much that you've allowed all of us to be here this morning and to have our journeys intersect at this moment here. Thank you for the experiences and the opportunities that you've given us and ways that you've grown us to this point. I pray, Father, that you would show us what our next steps are. Show us the next step that you want us to take, whether it's small or whether it's big. But show us that step and then give us the courage to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. 